we pray that today you will hear us and hear our cries as we lift up to you the burdens of our hearts and the burdens of our families and family members who are going through some struggles and trials physically. We pray, Father, for our other family members that uh, many we may have today that we just lift up to you tonight and pray in our hearts for them and ask that you would bring, Lord God, a revelation, uh, just a, 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 a manifest uh, revelation of your power and glory before each and every one. And we ask that you would open our hearts to receive your word this evening through the power of your Holy Spirit. <coughs> that you, Lord God, in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, will be high and lifted up and exalted over all things on this day, in this place. And we ask these things tonight in the precious name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. And amen. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 12. You'll be surprised to know that we're going to actually do a whole chapter tonight. That because it's only six verses long. And so, well, let's pray for that anyway. (laughs) Isaiah chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. And in that day you will say, O Lord, I will praise you. Though you were angry with me, your anger is turned away. And you comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For Yah, the Lord, is my strength and song. He also has become my salvation. Therefore, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And in that day you will say, Praise the Lord, call upon His name, declare His deeds among the peoples, Make mention that His name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for He has done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, O inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in your midst. This particular chapter of Isaiah is a song of praise that follows the events of chapters 10 and 11 and comes from a heart of one who has surrendered to the Messiah of Israel as king and enjoys the benefit of his reign. In the two previous chapters, we saw a kind of dual prophecy that applied both to the near-fulfillment invasion of Judah by the Assyrian nation as well as a future invasion of Israel by the Antichrist, which is yet, of course, to come. But the prophecies talked about the destruction of the enemy and God's deliverance for His people. Now, chapter 11 ended by drawing a parallel 
of this deliverance to that of Israel's deliverance from Egypt. Go back to verse 16 of the last chapter. And it says there, There will be a highway for the remnant of His people who will be left from Assyria as it was for Israel in the day that He came up from the land of Egypt. So you see then that parallel. As it was for Israel... It will be for the people who have been attacked by Assyria. And that day he came up from the land of Egypt, just as that happening took place. In other words, there would be a highway from Assyria to Israel, created by the parting of the river Euphrates. This would be similar to what happened when God parted the Red Sea and brought his people out of Egypt. And after the people came through the Red Sea, Moses led the people in a song. And so you see how that parallel continues, where there was a song to follow the exodus from Egypt. So there is a song here in chapter 12. But going back to Exodus 15, consider the song of Moses for a moment. Notice in Exodus 15, verse 1, it says, Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song, to the Lord and spoke saying I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously the horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea the Lord is my strength and song and he has become my salvation sound familiar sounds just like the text we just read in Isaiah 12 he has become my salvation he is my God and I will praise him my father's God And I will exalt him. Now ask yourself the question for just a moment. Is he the God who has saved you? Is he the God of your salvation? Think about the question before you answer. Because another question is coming. Is he the God of your salvation? If he is the God of your salvation, if he is your God, are you praising him? Are you singing unto him? Are you exalting him? You see, there's nothing in here that has anything to do with any exceptions. You know, we're really, uh, we're really good in our day and time to think of exceptions. Well, you know, I know that we need to praise God, but I mean, I've got some stuff going on in my life, and until I get something out of the way, hey, is He your God? <laughs> is He your salvation? Then are you praising Him? Because that is what God is telling us here in this particular passage. No exceptions. Now, if he's not your God, I can understand. I wouldn't want you to sing to him. I wouldn't know what you're going to sing to him anyway. But if he's your God, and if he is the God of your salvation, then there's nothing to keep you from singing. Why? Because you've been saved. Now, that seems somewhat uh, simple. But it's supposed to be profound. And our praise unto God is to be profound. You see, when Israel experiences the deliverances of her God, as at the Exodus, the songs of Israel's youth will be renewed. And the people will sing again as in the days of old. Just as they sang when Moses brought them out of the land of Egypt, and they sang unto the Lord how he had triumphed gloriously in the horse and the rider. In other words, the enemy was thrown into the sea. That's worthy of praise, isn't it? You see? 
The songs come back again. Think about this in your own life. You're going through struggles. Every believer in Jesus Christ goes through struggles. And sometimes it silences us. Sometimes it quiets us until we see the salvation of the Lord or the deliverance of the Lord in some situation, in some happening. But then it happens and what do we do? Yeah, we open up. (laughs) But even in the midst of our darkness, and this is what we forget to see in the Psalms, that even in the midst of our darknesses or even in the midst of our trials or even in the midst of our tribulations... David was singing unto the Lord. David was crying out to God in song because he knew that God was already his salvation, though he was going through some kind of trial, though he was going through some kind of circumstance. Even when people die in our midst, if we know that they died in the Lord... We're saddened, but God's people rejoice. And we lift up songs of praise. Why? Because we know that that person was saved by God and is now in the presence of Almighty God, in the bosom of God, in the very heart of His Savior. In Hosea chapter 2, verse 15, the prophet says, I will give her her vineyards from there. This, of course, is the word of the Lord through the prophet. He says, I will give her her vineyards from there in the valley of Accor, as a door of hope, she shall sing there. Notice, she shall, she shall sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up from the land of Egypt. You see, every time God delivers us, we have to have a song on our hearts. We are to have a song on our hearts. If we were to take a day in our lives and see where God is delivering us from certain things... You know, it may not be a mighty thing or a great thing. It might even just be a mundane thing that happens. But God does something. We know it and we see it. That puts a song on our hearts. And besides, even if we're sitting down like like stumps on a log or what do they call them, couch potatoes? You know, I mean, we all have our times of couch potato-ness, right? Oh, you mean I'm the only one? Okay. All right. No, I'm not the only one. But from those times, even then, there's times when we can just praise God. We don't have to have somebody call up and say, hey, did you know there's a service going on? Let's go sing. Let's sing now. Because God has delivered us. If you remember, Isaiah's name means the Lord is salvation. And salvation is a key theme In this song, go back to verses 1 and 2 of our text in Isaiah 12. It says, and in that day you will say, O Lord, I will praise you, though you were angry with me. Now, I mean, this this kind of brings it home to to, to most of us, if not all of us. And in that day you will say, O Lord, I will praise you, though you were angry with me. Your anger is turned away, and you comfort me. Now that sounds like Israel, doesn't it? It sounds like God's people who have oftentimes got themselves in situations where God is angered over their sin. Yet notice, it says, Though you were angry with me, your anger is turned away, and you comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for Yah the Lord is my strength and song. Yah is, 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 you know, the term for, you know, in some translations it says Jehovah, Yahweh or Yahweh. The Lord, notice, for Yah the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, is my strength and song. 
his name and his title. He, has, he also has become my salvation. But the phrase in that day, if you'll notice that phrase in verse 1, the phrase in that day refers to the day of Israel's regathering. Israel's reunion under the righteous reign of our Lord Jesus Christ. In that day, you will say, O oh Lord, I will praise you. Though you are angry with me, your anger is turned away and you comfort me. You see, the Jewish remnant will have come through the time of tribulation on earth. We know that as the time of Jacob's trouble from Jeremiah 30 verse 7 that says, Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. And it is the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. Now folks, you have to understand that there's a phrase there that distinguishes this happening, which hasn't happened yet, from everything else that has happened. Because it says, for that day is great, so that none is like it. There will not be a day. There have been a lot of bad days in the world. There, are a lot of, there have been a lot of tragic and traumatic days in this world. There have been a lot of troubling days in this world. But there is nothing like the day that is coming that is called the day or the time of Jacob's trouble. We're not going to go into that today. We will go into it as we go on in the book of Isaiah. But what will happen is that they will have seen their Messiah. They will have seen their Messiah. They will have repented and they will receive Him by faith. We can speak of it in the past tense in that it was coming from a prophet thousands of years ago. But it's yet to happen. And when it happens, we talk about it as if it's going to still happen. They will see their Messiah. They will repent and they will receive Him by faith. Zechariah chapter 12. Look at this particular passage going on from verse 10 all the way into verse 1 of chapter 13. It says there, And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. There was an opportunity for some of them to have seen him whom they pierced, but the majority of them did not mourn. Many of them were glad. Many of them were relieved because they thought they had Jesus out of the way. This is talking about a whole people, which hasn't happened yet, but it will because the Bible predicts it. In that day there shall be a great mourning in Jerusalem, like the mourning at Hadad Rimon in the plain of Megiddo. The land shall mourn every family by itself the family of the house of David by itself, and their wives by themselves. Folks, do you notice something here? Every family by itself, family of David, their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Nathan by itself, their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Levi by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of Shimei by itself, and their wives by themselves. All the families that remain, every family by itself, and their wives by themselves. This is pointing out Something that is not just a, 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 a blanket salvation for a nation, but bringing it down to individuals just like it was for us. When it came down to my salvation, your salvation, your struggle with sin, your being overcome by sin and your 
victory because of your belief and faith in Jesus Christ. No difference, you see, for them. And then in verse 1 it says, In that day a fountain shall be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. And it goes on. But you see, it leads to their cleansing and cleansed and established in their promised kingdom. The nation will praise the Lord and extol Him among the Gentiles. It's interesting that the next phrase in our text, if you look back at uh, our text there in verse 1, it says, O Lord, I will praise You though You were angry with Me. Refers now to this worshiper that uh, is, is speaking these words or saying these words. It refers to the worshiper deciding to praise the Lord. It is a matter of will. Do you notice that? Oh Lord, I will praise You. Oh Lord, I will praise You. It's a matter of will. I, I have seen times and heard times and experienced times even myself where we struggle because of some illness or whatever, and we can't sing real well, and, uh, <clears throat> and we're trying, you know, and we do it, you know, and we do it anyway. Why? Because we will exalt the Lord. We desire to exalt the Lord. Doesn't matter what we sound like. Most everybody will say, "Well, Pastor Charlie always says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord." There's a lot of joyful noises, you know. Sometimes we're losing our voices. But we don't stop from praising the Lord. Why? Because we will. We desire. We decide. You see, it's a decision and a desire. And that is will. That is the will that we have to do this. And so the, it refers then to the worshiper deciding to praise the Lord even though he has felt. And think about this because it brings us into the picture as well. Deciding to praise the Lord even though he has felt the Lord's anger against him. Nevertheless, this is talking about salvation. Although it is not just salvation from the threat of the enemy armies advancing in, uh, on Jerusalem. It is salvation from the very wrath of God. Salvation from the very wrath of God. This begs us to ask the question, is it appropriate for God to be angry with us? Just think about that question for a moment. Is it appropriate for God to be angry with us? Well, first of all, let's not get the crazy idea that God is some kind of cosmic paranoid who is out to destroy us for no reason just because He got up on the wrong side of the bed. I think people think that about God. And I know that they're terribly mistaken. God's wrath is very appropriate, by the way. Listen to me. God's wrath is very appropriate. I want you to think about what we heard this past weekend about that group in northern Uganda called the Lord's Resistance Army. Remember hearing about that? And what they did in the name of the Lord? Which as one of the speakers on the, on the video that we saw said, that's not talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of light, he's talking about the Lord of darkness. 
raping, killing, maiming, and you name it. This is what they were doing. This is what they're doing even now. Didn't it make you angry to think that this military group is killing whole families, raping young girls and women, abducting young boys for their army, and wiping out entire villages? This, that is a very proper response to injustice. Didn't it make you angry? Oh, okay. Good. I'm glad it made you something. <laughs> when you think about it, our sins are no different in the sight of God. Listen to me. Our sins are no different in the sight of God. Our sins provoke a proper kind of wrath, a wrath that must demand justice and payment for sins committed. And so what turns away God's anger then? What turns away God's anger? It is something called propitiation. Propitiation. It's a good Bible word. It is the payment for the price of justice. Propitiation is the payment for the price of justice. Propitiation is simply defined as the atoning sacrifice. It atones for sin. It is the atoning sacrifice. I want you to consider, turn with me if you will, to Romans chapter 3 for just a moment. We have to deal with this. Because you see, what, what is it that we're doing? Oh Lord, I will praise you though you were angry with me. Yet, 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 though you were angry with me, yet your anger is turned away and you comfort me. What kind of God do we have? Look at Romans 3 verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. If we only live by the law, we are in trouble. Amen? Got it? You got the picture? You see it? Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. The law has a purpose. It is to show us what sin is. It is to show us the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, which is the Old Testament for the most part. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all. Do you see that phrase? To all and on all who what? Believe. We're being interactive tonight, so play along with me. Make, make me feel good. For there is no difference. Notice this. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And notice verse 25, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood. What is that whom pointing to? It's pointing back to Jesus. The redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation, an atoning sacrifice, the payment for the price of justice by His blood, through faith to demonstrate His righteousness. Because in His forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. 
Folks, you can't be made right before God by just trying to obey the laws. All the laws do is just it, just, it shows us just how sinful we are. All the laws do is show us just how sinful we are, just how far short we fall of God's standards. That is what the law does. Being right with God comes in a way that's separate from the law. That's what Paul was saying in Romans 3, verses 20-26, through 26, that being right with God comes in a way that's separate from the law. It comes when we learn to trust in Jesus. And we'll see this again in, in verse 2 of our text. It comes when we learn to trust in Jesus. And so we go from being sinners to being declared right before God because of the price, the redemption that Jesus paid for us. God made Jesus to be the one who paid the price for our sins. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us. The one who appeased, as it were, His righteous anger for our sins, which took place when the Lord died on the cross, taking the punishment that we deserve, paying the price with His own blood. There's no longer any debt for it has been completely paid. And because of this, God is still a just God. He is just and a justifier of those who believe. Of the one who has faith in Jesus. There's no longer any debt. The price has been paid. As we learned a couple of Sundays ago, Jesus said on the cross to Telestai, it is finished, paid in full. And so getting back to our text, the ones singing this song will be the faithful Jews who have come to trust in Jesus as their Messiah during that time of great tribulation. They are the ones He will come back to rescue. Remember, there has always been a remnant. You know what's really sad today? Let me interject this while we're here. The Scriptures are painting a a very ominous picture of the last days. We talk about the day of the Lord. A day is coming when there will be more destruction than has ever happened on this earth. The Scriptures tell us that Israel has become a nation, is becoming a nation, has become a nation, and are coming, people are coming back into the land. But you see, what a lot of people forget is that part of this time of great tribulation is a time of Jacob's trouble. And what's sad is that in the future, two-thirds of God's chosen people will be killed. That's a lot of people. And then worldwide, think about the destruction that's going to come because man is going to be... All nations, the Bible says, all nations will come against Israel. 
what destruction there's going to be. But the fact of the matter is, God is still going to rescue His people. And God is just. And throughout the Scriptures, especially the Old Testament, time and again, we'll find, there's various places, but we find where it says there that were it not for God's mercies, they would all be gone. But the remnant exists. And today there are, there are believers in Jesus Christ in Israel sharing the gospel of Jesus so that Jews will come to know their Messiah before all of this happens. Not all will believe but pray, you see. This is one reason why we're told in the Old Testament, in the book of Psalms, to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. For the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to His very city. Folks, there's a Jerusalem today. For many years there wasn't. For many years there was a desolate land over there. For many years there was nothing going on. But God... has orchestrated this tremendous happening, which is really a miracle. We're going to talk about that a lot more as we get into this this particular book. But you'll notice in verse 2 now, let's go on so we don't spend too much time away from where we're going. It says, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For Yah, or Yahweh, or Jehovah, the Lord, is my strength and song. He also has become my salvation. Now, there's a word we don't want to skip over. It's the first word of verse 2. It says, Behold. That's a very important word here. Sometimes we just say it and we think, Well, behold, God is my salvation. But there's meaning here. The word behold is not without meaning. The person worshiping here wants others to see what he says is true. He says, Behold, God is my salvation. The person worshiping wants others to see what he says is true. Anyone who is excited about what the Lord has done in his life wants to invite all to behold the work of God, the work of the God of his salvation. I want people to behold the work of God and the work of the God of my salvation, the God of your salvation. Hey, look at what God has done. Behold, open your eyes, look at what's happening. Once I was blind, now I see. Once I was lost, but now I'm found. Once I was dead, but now I'm alive in God and in Christ. Behold what God has done. And this is what he's saying here. God is my salvation. That statement says it all, doesn't it? God is my salvation. This is true salvation. I'm not salvation. My good works are not salvation. My good intentions, my good thoughts, none of these things save me. And none of these things save you. Your good thoughts, your good deeds, your good intentions, none of those things will save you. God is our salvation. God is my salvation. And because of this, Israel has nothing to fear. We have nothing to fear. Is this not what we read in, in that great song of Moses in Exodus 15, verse 2? The Lord is my strength and my song, and He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise Him. My Father's God, and I will exalt Him. If we are saying that, if we're singing it, if we're proclaiming it, is it true? 
It's true whether we sing it or not, isn't it? But it's only true for those who believe. And so those who believe, if it's true for you, guess what you, mean, what you must be doing? You must be praising God. Because He's the God of your salvation. And because of that, you have nothing to fear. He's become my salvation. What do I have to worry about? Psalm 27 verse 1 says, The Lord is my light and what? My salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? The Lord is my light and my salvation. You know, there are many people living today who don't even, you know, they, they don't ever feel the need for salvation. That's a sad thing. But maybe you were there at one time. Maybe there was a time when you didn't feel a need for salvation. I'm okay. I, I'm okay. You know, I, I, I get along. I'm fine. You know, I'm alive. I, I'm, my health is good. You know, I have a house and a, two cars or two houses and one car. I don't know what they have. But they got some. You know, I got this and I got that. And now I'm okay. I don't need salvation. Oh, really? They think their lives are just fine and they come to God for a little help when they feel that they need it. But they never see themselves as drowning people in need of rescue. Was there a time, folks, listen, was there a time in your own life when you were drowning and God awakened you to that? You were drowning in sin. You were drowning in, in, in wickedness. You were drowning in the evils of this world. You were drowning in it and God awakened you and you saw yourself going under you see, it's more than feel. It's more than just feeling. They never see themselves as drowning people in need of rescue or, or see themselves as sinners destined for hell. Nobody wants to even believe in hell. They don't want to talk about hell. But I've said this a thousand times if I've said it once. Jesus spoke about hell more than about heaven because he wants to make sure that people don't go there. And because he says there is one, we can believe it because Jesus never lies. He is the way, the truth, and the life. But for this worshiper that we're hearing in verses 1 and 2, he is immersed in the thought of God being His salvation that He repeats it in the very same verse. He says, Behold, God is my salvation. Notice the end of the verse, He is also, or He also has become my salvation. says it twice. That's important. You know, when you start saying things twice about what God has done in you, you're not going to forget what God has done. Isn't it interesting that sometimes we have come to that place in our lives we say, oh God, thank you, thank you Lord Jesus, thank you for what you did for, for me and thank you for saving me. And then you know, some time goes by and you forget to thank God about one thing or another, you forget to pray, you forget to you know, call upon the name of the Lord, you forget just to spend time with Him and all of a sudden you're off and doing things on your own again. The reason why it's important to have devotion, why it's important to read the Scriptures, why it's important to study the Scriptures, why it's important to take a daily time with God, a daily time with Christ, is so that we can say, Lord, You're my salvation at the beginning of the day. You're my salvation at the end of the day. 
You're my salvation when I start a project. You're my salvation when I finish that project, if I ever finish it. You're my salvation when I do this and when I do that. You're my salvation always. I'm not going to forget that. And though the world may try to tempt me away, or the enemy may try to tempt me away from the things of God, I, you're my salvation. And the more I center myself in that, the less I'm going to move to the right or to the left. We immerse ourselves in the thought of God being our salvation. And I don't care if people get upset at you repeating it. It's all right. One day they'll catch it. One day they'll get it. How many times has somebody beat you over the Well, I don't want to say beat you over the head with the gospel, but I mean, you know, but they talk to you about the Lord and you just say, get away from me. I don't want you know, all this holy stuff and I don't want all this weird stuff. But somewhere down the line you finally realize you needed that weird stuff. And then when you came to Christ, you realized you were the only weird one. And you gave your life to the Lord and He made you unweird. Right? But it was because, you know, somebody kept telling you about the Lord because they loved you and they cared about you and they didn't want you to go to hell. And they kept after you and after you, you know. That's another reason. And that's a good reminder that peace and security come from knowing that God is my salvation. It's a good reminder that peace and security come from knowing that God is my salvation. If we were in any way, shape, or form our own salvation, it would be truly hard to trust and not be afraid of ourselves. Think about that. But when God is our salvation, we can trust and not be afraid. Turn to Psalm 18. I mean, I'm sorry, Psalm 118. Psalm 118. This is smack dab in the middle of the Bible. <laughs> I mean, the very middle of the Bible. Psalm 8, 118, verses 6 through 9. You can balance your Bible on this, unless you have too much concordance or too many maps. But notice what the psalmist says here. He says, the Lord is on my side. Let me ask you a quick question here before we go on. Can you say that in your life? The Lord is on my side. There's a secondary question here. Are you on the Lord's side? If you're on the Lord's side, guess what? The Lord is on your side. Got the picture? All right. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? You see, that's a tremendous question. What can man do to me? Hey, they can kill me. Man can take a lot of stuff away from me, you know, in this life. That's about it. What can man do to me? The Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore, I shall see my desire on those who hate me. And then he says, it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Too often in this world, we put confidence in a lot of people. We look at people as being somebody that, you know, you've you got to help me here. You gotta, you know, hey, wait a minute. It's better to trust in the Lord. You know, there are a lot of people today taking a lot of credit for what God is doing. Folks, I won't take any of that credit. That's God's. It's what God does. We're just his servants. 
We're just giving you the word. We're telling you what, what God is, is wanting you to know. But folks, put your confidence and trust in Him. Not in the messenger. There are a lot of messengers today that act like, man, you know, they're God's gift to this world. I'm sorry. If they don't take a bath, they stink too. If they don't brush their teeth, they got bad breath. You understand what I'm saying? If they don't shampoo their hair, they got, you know, ronya. Just kidding. <laughs> I don't even know how to translate that into English. All right. <laughs> Dandruff. Okay. <laughs> Something like that, you know. Flaky skin or, you know, flaky head. Flaky head stuff. All right. Really pretty picture, right? But do you understand the point? Do you see? Man, we don't put our confidence in man. We put our trust in the Lord. Did I actually say Ronnie? Oh, man. I've got to be careful here. All right. A basically similar idea is repeated by the Apostle Paul. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. It says there, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the foundational establishment for having peace, the foundation for having peace and trust and no fear comes only from seeing our salvation in God and not in ourselves or anyone else for that matter. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And folks, it is, a, it is an issue of decision. I will trust and not be afraid. I will trust and not be afraid. Is it any wonder then that the Lord is also our strength and our song? He is our strength and our song. As our strength, He is our ever-present resource and our ever-present refuge. As our song, He is our joy and our happiness. He is our purpose and our life. He is our constant satisfaction. Now again, listen. When you are in Christ, when you're living in Christ, and you're walking in Christ, and walking by the Spirit, and walking in the things of God, isn't there a satisfaction there? Now, think about this. When you walk away from that, is, it, is there any satisfaction? No. You're trying to find satisfaction in things or in people, but eventually you realize there's no foundation there. He is our strength. He is our song. He is our joy. He is our peace. He is our satisfaction. So notice then as we go on into the next section, verses 3 through 6, I bet you thought I'd never get there. Therefore, with joy, it says, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And in that day you will say, praise the Lord, call upon His name, declare His deeds among the peoples, make mention that His name is exalted, sing to the Lord, for He has done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, O inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in your midst. The prophet now addresses the redeemed a second time. He says the wells of salvation can be described as the springs of 
temporal and spiritual blessings that the God of their salvation has opened for them and from which they draw the delightful contents. Think of Isaiah 55 verse 1 that says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come by and eat. Yes, come by wine and milk without money and without price. He says, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Jesus gave us a great promise in John's Gospel. He said, in speaking to the woman at the well, the woman of Samaria, in John 4, verses 13 and 14, because she says, you know, because what Jesus said about the water there at the well, you know, she says, you know, something to the effect about, you know, the well that belonged to Jacob, you know. And Jesus answered and said to her, said to her whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. You see, there can be no greater picture uh, given than this, to come to Jesus and to draw water from the wells of salvation. In fact, in later years, it was a custom in the time of Jesus, it was a custom to sing the song from our text, during the Feast of Tabernacles, as the people then drew water from the pool of Siloam, where Jesus was heard to say this in John chapter 7, verses 37 and 38. It says, On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And you see, there's a lesson in all of this. Make sure that you are trusting in the right thing. Make sure you are trusting in the right thing. It was possible to have spent months chiseling, chiseling, chiseling into the rock, digging out a cistern, only to find that it didn't hold any water. Now this is an allusion to uh, something in in Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, where it says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. That's a sad, that's a sad passage. My people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. I'm their water of life, but they've forsaken me. And secondly, they hewn for themselves cisterns, In other words, large areas to hold water, but they're broken and they don't hold water. This is their own life. This is their own trying to please themselves. This is their own trying to carve out a niche in their own life, looking for joy in their life. What are are you looking to for joy in your life? See, the only joy that we can truly have is the joy in coming to the waters of, of, of salvation in Jesus Christ. But if you're looking anywhere else other than the Lord, you're going to find that it just won't hold water. And that's the point we're trying to make here. There is only one place where where you will find the clean, clear water of life, and that's in Jesus Christ and Him alone, who said, Come to me. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. You see? 
And from this fullness of joy flows almost of itself a song of thanksgiving that is the form of a rousing call to magnify the name of the Lord. Look at verses 4 through 6. And in that day you will say, Praise the Lord. Call upon His name. Declare His deeds among the peoples. Make mention that His name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for He has done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, O inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in your midst. This is an exhortation of praise and an encouragement to worship and to trust in the Lord. These words weren't anything new either. In fact, they too were from an old song, first sung when David had just finished bringing the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem for the very first time. The people had a great time of joy and feasting as the symbol of God's presence. The Ark was brought into David's capital. First Chronicles 16, notice this. 1 Chronicles 16, verse 7 says, On that day David first delivered this psalm into the hand of Asaph and his brethren to thank the Lord. And notice what he says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. You know what? We sang it tonight. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the peoples. See, did you know that you were singing a song that David wrote? And that we can sing this song because God has delivered us. A true worshiper cannot stop talking about God's greatness and the great things that He's done. Tell people about your God. He is great and greatly to be praised. I believe it's Psalm 48. It says, In the city of our God, in the mountains of His holiness, praise God. Verse six. Notice verse 6 of our text. It says, Cry out and shout. We sang another song tonight, Shout to the Lord. (laughs) Did we shout to the Lord or did did, did we sing it this way, Whisper to the Lord? Or did we sing, Shout to the Lord, all the earth? There's a difference. No one has ever asked you to whisper a song. All right, everybody, let's all whisper nice and soft. Ready? We're going to sing. We're going to whisper praises to God. Shh, don't let anybody hear you. Are you kidding? Shout to the Lord. Cry out and shout. For great is the Holy One of Israel. I mean, this is really excited praise. We really aren't to worship in a half-hearted sort of way. But folks, here it is. And I'm not, I'm not saying this because I, you know, I stand up here sometimes and I look out. you know. But folks, this is what happens. Sometimes it's half-hearted. Sometimes it's, it's no-hearted. Sometimes there's nothing coming out of your mouth. I don't know what it is. But we're not going to force you. And we're not going to judge you. I'm just telling you. If God is your salvation, you can't keep silent. If God is your salvation, you can't keep quiet. If you're worried about anybody thinking that you can't sing, who cares? God knows already. You just sing. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Turn to Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. You're probably thinking, where's that? It's in the Bible. It's in the Old Testament. Zephaniah. It's almost toward the end. If you find Zechariah, just go back to your left a little bit. A couple of books. 
Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. It's an important one to mark in your Bible. The Lord your God in your midst, the Mighty One, will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with His love. He will rejoice over you with singing. You see, God isn't silent. God sings because of you. God sings because of you. And you. And you. The Lord your God in your midst, the Mighty One, will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with His love. You know, that's important to understand, folks, that sometimes we're so anxious in this life. We're so anxious because tomorrow's got... Folks, we know, tomorrow has the troubles of its own. But, folks, God will quiet you in His love. Tonight. Because, you see, tonight you can't do anything about tomorrow. So go to bed. Not now, not now. When you go home, go to sleep, get rest. But tomorrow He'll be with you. And He'll quiet you with His love. And He'll rejoice over you with singing. We have in this last verse of this chapter two reasons for great praise. Two reasons for great praise. Number one, first of all, because of who God is. He is the mighty one. First reason for great praise is because of who God is. Secondly, because of where God is. He's in your midst. And that's why we can praise Him. These are both great reasons to praise and worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Lord God is mighty and He is in our midst. Is there any other reason to praise Him? Yeah, probably a lot. But those two are real important. I want you to finish by, uh, let's finish tonight by going to Romans 8. Romans chapter 8, verses 11 through 14. Because I want to just speak a little bit about the fact that the Lord is mighty. The Lord God in our midst is mighty. This is how mighty He is. Verse 11, but if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Notice, in your midst, not only that, in you. (laughs) He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, you, if, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Folks, that's how mighty God is. He can take us who are sinners Declare us righteous, those who believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And that very same power by which he raised Christ from the dead, he'll raise us. You know, we've already been raised because we were dead in trespasses and sins. But now we're alive in Christ. Folks, that's mighty. That's mighty power. And he's in our midst.
He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Let's pray.